Yeah, it's a very muggy day here in Salford, but it's good to be with you. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show. With me, the BBG, until 7 o'clock, I think, or thereabouts. I'd love to hear your opinions on the big stories of the day. Reach out to me through the website richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Welcome, welcome. You know, just this second, I had to pinch myself. Let me get rid of the theme tune. I had to pinch myself for the first time in a long time. I just, as as I came on air, I realised the absurdity of the situation, the absurdity of me talking to you in this fashion, doing this from the studio in uh, in our home, using equipment that has been paid for by you, the listener, and reaching ridiculous numbers of people around the UK, Ireland and beyond. And it doesn't ever, because I'm not, I don't get carried away with stuff like that, that's not the point. But what an absurd thing it is, this show, that that we have, isn't it? It's mad, really. It just occurred to me as I was coming on. This is crazy. Who would have believed it, that you could do this? When when I started in radio, if somebody had said, you will in the future be able to do what you did at your radio station studios with um, massive amounts of flashing lights and blinking lights and, you know, hardware and software, you'll be able to do it um, from your own home. And without using their aerials and their FM reach, you'll be able to do your own thing and reach your own listeners. It's mad. And I got a whack of that just as I came on a couple of moments ago. I looked around just as I was coming on. I went, this is a bit mad. And we're approaching eight years of it. It'll be eight years this September that you and I have been meeting like this at this time, although we used to do it at eight o'clock, didn't we, in the very beginning? And then it went back to seven o'clock and then it went back to five o'clock and five o'clock is where it will remain for as long as it lasts. But God's is mad, really. But yeah, here we are. Tony Gosling. What's that? Oh, yeah. Tony Gosling is my guest today and will be with me from Bristol in around about 25 minutes time. I could just reach over for my phone and tell you what we're going to be talking about. I afford Tony a rare privilege, you see. When I invite him on, I say, look, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about, pal. That's how long we've known each other. But he wants to get into a lot, so I'll just leave it there. There's a lot to talk about. And if there's a bit of time later on, I will switch on the, the telephone thing and you can talk to me as well a bit later. I wasn't planning on doing that, so apologies for the, um, um, say it for me, for the lack of any notice, but, but there you go. Let's start with this today. There's so much I, I could have started with, but let's start with this Private Eye magazine, which um, has been a very good magazine for, for law firms up and down this country. Private Eye, and you know, you know you've, you've heard all about Private Eye. It's run a story this week, this week's edition, uh, about 2000. It's run a story about an incident which happened in 2018 
when the current Prime Minister Boris Johnson was acting for, no, he was the Foreign Secretary. He was the Foreign Secretary, a job given to him by Theresa May, if memory serves. Now, he was having an affair with Carrie Simmons at that time. She's now Carrie Johnson because she married him and they have a baby or two. Is it one or two babies? I, I haven't a clue. So they were having an affair. She was Carrie Simmons or Simons. And their affair was unknown to everyone at the Foreign Office. It was unknown to everyone. It's a very secret extramarital affair. And he was concealing the affair with her while at the same time trying to get her or procure her or secure her a job as his advisor with a six-figure salary. So that's, that's corruption. It isn't near as damaged. That is corruption. Whatever way you want to paint it, it's bad stuff, right? Least of his crimes, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Let's hear from the puritanical James O'Brien, who's got a radio show on LBC. He could barely contain his glee. Listen to me, a poet I be. Here's James O'Brien. Aides at the Foreign Office were wary of Boris Johnson's desire to give Carrie Simmons a job because they had become aware of the fact that he was having an extramarital affair with her. He was having an adulterous affair with her. And the way in which they became aware um, was because an MP who was used to dropping into Johnson's parliamentary office without warning walked in abruptly and found Johnson and his current wife, then mistress, in what has been described as a compromising situation. The Friday night attack of the Abdabs at number 10 was caused by a baseless fear that the Times might be more specific about the compromising situation, Private Eye reports. So it wasn't so much the fact that Johnson was trying to secure a six-figure job for his mistress. It was about the way in which Foreign Office aides and other colleagues had found out that the woman was his mistress. And that is the bit where uh, listeners of a, of, a, of, a, of a timid disposition, which is the phrase the editor of Private Eye uses in, in yesterday's edition, might just want to turn the volume down briefly. I don't think this qualifies as a complete trigger warning, but certainly if you have younger children in the car with you at the moment or over the brunch table, just, just be aware. Um, an MP walked into the House of Commons and found the Foreign Secretary's mistress performing a sex act on the Foreign Secretary in the House of Commons estate or in the Foreign Office, no, it would be his parliamentary office in, in 2018. She was performing oral sex on Johnson when this MP barged into the office. And this is how Foreign Office employees came to learn that this woman, Simmons, who he wanted to basically employ on a six-figure salary, wasn't just somebody he knew he was having an extramarital affair with or oral sex, apparently. Who, who, who gives a damn? He didn't have to give a trigger warning there. He does love the sound of his own voice, doesn't he, James O'Brien? Um, and it seems that Johnson and Simmons, as she was then, or Simmons specifically, was able to use her own contacts to get the Times newspaper to back off the story. And later, much later on, the Daily Mail as well, when the Mail serialised the book which contained this story, this pretty serious story, really. Go on. And that was the reason why, although yeah. none of it was reported at the time, people knew she was his mistress. Otherwise, presumably, he'd have been able to get her a six-figure job as director of communications. 
Yeah. Now, what probably should have happened, because this is rank corruption, this. You know, you've got a woman who you're shagging behind your wife and family's back, and you want to get her a job in the foreign office, which pays a very hefty salary. I mean, you could make a good argument for putting a rat in a bag, tying it around his neck and chucking him into the Tiber. You could make a good argument for that. But it's the least of his crimes, isn't it? And and O'Brien and others are obsessing on this today. I'm going to say that once more, and we're not going to dwell on this, and we're not going to be prurient or puerile. But you are, of course you are. Because this is, I think, the country deserves better than to be sniggering about this stuff, but it also deserves a lot better than to be silent about it. The reason why Foreign Office aides and other colleagues of the then Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson knew that the woman he was trying to secure a six-figure job for as a director of communications in one of the great offices of state in this country is because they were disturbed in the middle of a sex act on a sofa in his parliamentary office by another MP. I'll stick in a reportedly and an allegedly. Yeah, you don't have to do that. It's been published. It's it's in the, the public domain. It's been published. It hasn't been denied. It's been published in a book about Carrie Simmons, or Carrie Johnson, nay Simmons. Um, so you you don't have to cover your arse. You know that you're just um, you're just being an idiot, of course, as James O'Brien is want to be. But the detail in private eye is eye wateringly. It's not eye wateringly. She gave him a blowjob, like. Frank, and as I say, John Ashcroft, who uh, 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 sort of bought... O'Brien is taking a really puritanical approach here, as if him having uh, oral sex from, or receiving it from, someone he's having an extramarital affair with in his office is anything to really get to, you know, knickers in a twist about. It isn't really. The problem here is that he was trying to get her a job. And she was able to get the newspaper of record to back off the story. And he's still in a job. That's the issue. What his way to prominence in, in, in journalism and polling and publishing and various other areas had also published a more watered down version of events. So there it is. 10.16 is the time. I, I, I'm going to get on my high horse now and tell you I think this is gross I, I think it's disgusting I can just about make allowances for the extramarital affair because that is something that happens, marriages fail it's, it's, it's sometimes two people's fault it's very very rarely 100% one person's fault Just because Loves the sound of his own voice doesn't he What happened to the producers? What happened to meetings, confession sessions once a week where the producers would tell you You're sounding like an insufferable arsehole on air, pal, you know. You really are, you know. Wind wind it in a bit, like. You're using 76 words where, like, 11 will suffice, really, you know. Wind your neck in a bit. Because Johnson has a history of sexual incontinence and and fathering children all over the... Sexual incontinence? The shop, some of which he publicly acknowledges, some of which he moves... Very puritanical, and it's been my experience as a journalist for over 20 years now, the more puritanical the presenter or the priest or the minister, usually the more skeletons they've got hiding in the back of their own closet. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So they want to hang Johnson for having an affair with a woman, keeping it secret while trying to get her a job. As I said, the Romans would have chucked him into the Tiber with a cloth sack around his 
neck with a rat inside it to know at his miserable face. But that's the least of what Boris Johnson has done in the time that he's been in politics, isn't it really? This is the man who knowingly destroyed the economy of the country by forcing a lockdown on the nation when 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 he knew that COVID was a very mild for for the great majority of people, a very mild illness that wouldn't do a lot of damage at all. A lockdown that he knew would result in the deaths of many more people who couldn't get vital health care on the NHS or who got so depressed they jumped off a building or stuck a noose around their neck. He knew it would destroy the prospects of children for years to come. What did James O'Brien do at the time when this was happening? Well, he derided castigated and criticised the Prime Minister for not doing it faster and harder. Acts of tyranny. Telling people how many people they could have in their own home. Setting the police on people out walking in the hills, telling them that this is not an appropriate place to come and walk. Telling people they had to keep themselves within five miles of their property and that they really only should exercise for a half an hour a day. Causing businesses to collapse. Having people dragged out of their businesses for refusing to close. Tyranny was visited on the country by Boris Johnson. So getting a blowjob for a woman from a woman who he was keeping under wraps that he was having an affair with her and trying to get her a job in the foreign office is nothing really, is it? This is a guy who knows that man-made climate theory, change theory, is complete and utter bollocks. Boris Johnson, I mean, knows this. But yet is going to try and inflict net zero policies on the country which is going to ruin whatever's left of the economy. It's going to destroy the global food chain. It's going to bring permanent travel restrictions on people, eliminate civil liberties and lead to global unemployment. That's a bit more than just getting a blowjob off of some tart who you want to get a job for, isn't it? It's amazing to me, this. It's astonishing to me. Yes, he should never have been seen again, Boris Johnson, when it was discovered that he was doing an utterly corrupt and utterly vile thing. Trying to get some woman you're having a, an affair with a very lucrative job that she's not qualified to do. That's corruption. In any other walk of life, you're fired and your career prospects are fairly, well, they're looking fairly slim after that, right? But it's the least of his crimes, isn't it? Isn't it? Selling hundreds of millions of pounds worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia to blow women and children to pieces in Yemen. That's a bit worse, I, th I would argue, than having oral sex on your sofa in the, your, your, your foreign secretary's office. Yeah, I won't labour the point, uh, to be honest. Put a rat in a bag, tie it around his neck and throw him into the Tiber. But not for the affair. And not for the corruption in the foreign office. For the things he's done since the little Nazi. He looks like one too, doesn't he? Yeah. Bernie Eccleston is in the news today. You remember him? They would describe him in the tabloids as the former F1 Supremo. I love these tabloid terms. Supremo. He used to be the boss of Formula One. He's 91 now, is Bernie. And 91 is old. Don't let anybody patronise 
anybody and say it's not old anymore. 91 is old. It's brilliant. And, you know, Bernie Eccleston seems to have his faculties about him. He seems to be doing well and looking well for 91. But he's a bit frail and he's a bit weak because he's 91. They brought him on to Good Morning Britain this morning, strangely, to defend Russian President Vladimir Putin. Why did they choose Bernie Eccleston above all others to put the case for Vladimir Putin? That's a bit strange. We might talk about that in a moment. Here is some of the interview. Um, Do you still regard him as a friend? Do you still stand by that feeling towards him? I'd still take a bullet for him. I'd rather it didn't hurt, but if it does, I'd still take a bullet. Because he's a first-class person, and what he's doing is something that he believed was the right thing he was doing for Russia. Unfortunately, uh, he's like a lot of business people, certainly like me, that uh, we make mistakes from time to time. And when you've made the mistake, you have to do the best you can to get out of it. And I think if it had been conducted properly, I mean, the other person in Ukraine, I mean, his profession, I understand, he used to be a comedian. And I think he seems as if he wants to continue that profession. Because I think if he'd have thought about things, he would have definitely made the big enough effort to speak to Mr. Putin who's a sensible person and would have listened to him and could have probably done something about it. Bernie, what what we have is is the actions of Vladimir Putin and and the war that he started in Ukraine has led to the death of thousands of innocent Ukrainians, the death of a lot of Russian servicemen as well. You can't justify that, surely? Well, I don't... It it wasn't intentional. I mean... uh, Look at the sort of times America has moved into different countries, which has nothing to do with America. I mean, they're, they're, actually, in America, it's their business. They like wars because they uh, sell a lot of armament, so it's good for them. So, just to understand you clearly, you think that President Zelensky should have done more to avert this war, and it could have been avoided by Zelensky's actions not by a change in Putin's actions. Absolutely. Absolutely, says Eccleston. If you take everything Eccleston said there, it's true. But he sounds weak and he sounds a bit frail. And that's why they brought him on. He's also been controversial in the past, this Bernie Eccleston, with some of the things he has said. So, so why didn't they invite somebody like, say, George Galloway on to defend the actions of the Russian government and its president. Now, I don't like George Galloway. I gave Galloway an interview on this programme a few years ago out of respect for the deceased MP Gerald Kaufman, um, who was our MP. Now, I have no interest in politics, so so don't think I had anything to do with Gerald Kaufman. But uh, I needed a bit of help with my local council at one stage, which were annoying me. And I asked him to deal with it, and he did. He was very good. And out of respect for Kaufman, Galloway had decided to run for the seat. Galloway is, dread- I think he's a dreadful human being. But anyway, I, I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an interview. And I did. I had to uh, bite my tongue and give him an interview. But look, long story short, why not bring Galloway on a very robust debater and uh, a very good arguer of a point of view and somebody who has, as far as I understand it, I don't watch Galloway, 
but uh, has been accused, hasn't he, of being a Russian um, media spokesman or something like that. I think he's in some sort of row with Twitter, Galloway, at the moment about being described as Russian media or something like that. Why not bring somebody on who's got a bit of oomph in them? This is what the media does, you see. It's very underhand. It's very sneaky and rotten. And I wonder if it works. Like, I wonder, did anybody this morning watching that think, well, this is a bit shite, really, bringing Bernie Eccleston on to defend the actions of the Russian government. Surely there are, you know, politicians present and previous who support um, what Russia is doing, or at least will make the art, not support Russia. Nobody supports the invasion, but at least make an argument going back to the Cold War, going back to the fall of the Berlin War, going back to 2014. So it's dreadful stuff, I thought. They went on to ask him, did he support the ban of uh, the banning of Russian athletes from sport while this is going on? And he said he didn't. Not that he can do anything about it because he's not involved in Formula One anymore. Uh, Boris Johnson has been at this NATO thing in Madrid. At the end of it today, there was a little bit of farce. Johnson was asked by a reporter to comment on something Vladimir Putin had said about Johnson in response to something that Johnson had said about Vladimir Putin. Is that complicated? A couple of days ago, Johnson said that Vladimir Putin was a lunatic and that the invasion of Ukraine was the result of toxic masculinity. That's what Johnson said, the UK Prime Minister. So apparently Vlad has struck back with some name-calling of his own, and a reporter wanted to get Johnson's response to that. After you took the mick out of Putin at the G7 for posing topless, I regret to inform you he has hit back. He said that if you did the same, it would be a disgusting sight, and Western leaders should stop abusing alcohol and other bad habits, do physical exercise, and take part in sports. One, are you going to take that, and would you like to respond? And secondly, do you really think it's wise to pick a, a war of words with a, a man your own government calls a lunatic with a very large nuclear arsenal? Yeah. Prime Minister Vladimir Putin has said that you are a great big fat fucking pisshead. Your response, sir? I think the most important conclusion that, uh, that Vladimir Putin needs to draw from what's happened uh, today, uh, the last few days in, in, uh, in NATO and then, and then previously in the G7, is that we are totally united in uh, condemning what he's done in Ukraine. Uh, we're resolved to uh, do everything uh, that we can to help the Ukrainians to uh, repel his troops. And I think that's the, the thing that uh, he should think about. I think that uh, that's, he should think about uh, the consequences of his barbaric actions, uh, the, uh, the, the way it has, uh, his invasion has actually brought the, the West together, NATO, G7, EU, look at, look at the way uh, people have come together. Uh, and if he wanted you know, less NATO on his borders uh, by getting into, uh, in, into Ukraine, which, by the way, was, there was, it was never remotely likely that Ukraine was going to join uh, NATO any time uh, in the foreseeable future. Every- yeah, you say that now, you lying podgy bollocks. But, um, yeah, right, we'll leave that there. It's 24 minutes, it is past five. Just before we move on, there was so much I could have covered. Apologies. But Jean uh, Anne was in touch with me this morning and sent me a link to an article in The Spectator, which is very interesting indeed, written by Jonathan Maitland. I won't, you know who Jonathan Maitland is, you don't need me to tell you. Uh, it's an excellent article, actually, and very annoying article at the same time. He's written about how Scrabble 
has decided to begin as has, has decided to ban words as a way of becoming more inclusive a word cull this is incredible um he says it started a couple of years ago when the North American Scrabble Players Association polled its members on the issue of whether you know allegedly offensive words or words that could be taken offensively uh, should be banned. It's an excellent piece. I think you get one free article or two a a week or a year if you don't subscribe to The Spectator. So if you look up Spectator War of Words Scrabble, you can read it. It's very, very, very interesting. It really is. Words like Jew um, have been banned, uh, for example. A word like Puff uh, P-O-O-F has been banned. You don't get any points for Puff anymore and he makes a very good point about the former house ban for, for Jonathan, what's his face? The uh, presenter, Jonathan, Jonathan, I can't remember his name now. Jonathan, you know the guy with the uh, who can't say his oars. Yeah, um, crazy stuff. Very good article. And, and again, it shows where things are moving. This tyrannical war on speech and freedom of expression, freedom to use words in context. You know, words are, are, are words and, and, and some of these words can be used to cause offence. Like Jew could be used at somebody in a way to cause offence to them. You know, you might say you dirty Jew. You might say you stingy, money hoarding Jew. That's not nice. You wouldn't say that. That's, um, you would understand why somebody would take offence at that. But you could also say, um, well, that guy's a Jew. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah, I'm sure he's North Manchester. I'm sure he's uh, from that community. He, he's Jewish, that guy. Crazy stuff, anyhow. Very interesting, that, Jonathan Maitland. And uh, if I had a bit of time today, I would have I would have nicked it and gotten into it in more detail, maybe, on, on my own website. But it's very good. Jonathan Maitland. The time is 26 minutes past five o'clock. This is your Richie Allen Show. And this is Sierra Farrell. And far away across the sea... I'm back in about three and a half minutes' time with a wise man from Bristol, otherwise known as Tony Gosling. Tony G with Richie Allen next. Touring the UK right now, Sierra Farrell and far away across the sea. The time, 28 minutes and 30 seconds past the hour. Richie Allen with you till I don't know when. Tony Gosling is live in Bristol. Terrific reporter, writer and broadcaster. Thisweek.org.uk and I recommend you check out Tony's books. I always say I'll do this. Um, I will do it. I'll do it before the week is out. I'll put a link to his books on the website because they're very, very, very good. And they're very prescient, Tony. Tony, prescient is a word that would get you a good Scrabble score, I reckon. What do you think? I don't know. What does it mean? Prescient means it's very relevant to the time we're in, basically. It's prescient. I, I, I looked it up a earlier like on. Pr- prophetic. Pr- exactly. Tell me this. Um, Jonathan Maitland has written in The Spectator. Scrabble is banning words. Words. Um, lots and lots of words like Jew, um, but, but, you know because oh come on no no serious stuff. This is this is tyranny, and people say we shouldn't talk about this stuff because it's not really that important, but it is very important. It is, yeah. 
isn't it? I mean, the, the idea of banning words is absolutely, I would suggest people quickly go and get a Scrabble dictionary now. This is what we use when we play, <laughs> the family plays Scrabble. It's a big, thick Scrabble dictionary, which has got some quite interesting little bits and pieces about weird words that you can use in Scrabble, and also some stuff about why you can't use other words. Um, but, you know, banning words, this is absolutely ridiculous. The idea is that you're trying to control thinking, really. This is thought thought crime, isn't it? You know, you, you think the word Jew, I mean, I actually had this from an old friend of mine, and I was pointing out uh, I had a fantastic Jewish physics teacher in my A-levels at school, Martin Black, Dr. Martin Black, um, at uh, what is the old Beckenham and Penge Grammar School in, in, in London, next door, by the way, to the Wellcome Trust, where they had all their research laboratories in London, which was a bizarre place to, to have my secondary school. Um, but uh, I, I pointed out that he was a, a fantastic um uh, physics teacher and and Jewish, and he brought some of his Jewish faith into the teaching, which was brilliant. You know, for example, you know, he'd talk about certain things happening because God made it that way, you know, which is just, a, you know, not the sort of thing you expect these days in a physics lesson. Uh, but, but I was called out for doing that, saying, well, how dare you, uh, you know, draw attention to the fact that he's Jewish. Now, of course, you know, look, this is part of a major world religion and the idea that you're not allowed to talk about it and the whole subject is taboo. This is from the South Sea Islands. This is where, you know, there are certain things you're not allowed to talk about and also they're doing human sacrifice. Uh, and this is basically super, a superstitious way of running the world. And we're not living in that world anymore, uh, thank God. And so, of course, you can use words, whichever words you want to use, so long as you're not breaking the law, in other words, inciting crime, you can say whatever you want. 100%, yeah. Um, context is important. My great friend, uh, Jean Ann Crowley, journalist and actress in, in, in Dublin, in, in uh, Connemara, I should say, uh, today, made a very good point. You're not using the words for any reason when you're playing Scrabble. You are just, um, the, the, <laughs> the, you know, you're not using it. You're not saying the words. You're just saying, well, this is a word. I get so many points for that. It's, uh, it's crazy. There's so much we can get through. We have as much time as you want today. We normally do a half an hour, but we can do as much as you, you want to do. you could play psychological warfare with your Scrabble opponents by using words which <laughs> have some sort of hidden meaning, you know, or, yeah. uh, or, or are an, an oblique sideswipe at their personality or something. I suppose you could do that. You could do that. Um, let, let's, let's start with a couple of minor things which, 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 which bleed into bigger things. Isn't it interesting that Private Eye has gone with this story that, I know you talked about it back in 2018, but it went away, that Carrie Simmons, as she was then, was able to get the Times to back off the story. She was having an affair with Johnson when his marriage was breaking down. Finally, when it was coming to the bitter end, he kept that affair secret from the Foreign Office staff and everybody else. But he was trying to get Carrie a gig, a, a six-figure gig, working for him in the Foreign Office. Now, this is high corruption, this. And the, 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 the aides at the Foreign Office only learned that they were not, um, that Johnson and Carrie were not uh, colleagues, but that they were something more serious when an MP walked in on her performing oral sex on him. So this has come up um, overnight and some media outlets are going big on this today. I mean, this should bring him down on its own. He tried to get some woman he was having an affair with, a, ma a major job in the Foreign Office, while keeping it a secret. Um, yeah, well, it sounds a bit like Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, doesn't a it? A little bit like that, actually. I think somebody made that point on, on, on Twitter today. Um, I would argue it's the least of his crimes, would you? 
really in recent well, years. Look, uh, I mean, there's obviously a get Boris, but I mean, uh, that, the thing is, you've got to be quite scrupulous and who is going to take over. Once the, once you know who at least stands a reasonable chance of taking over from Boris, it's fair fair game uh, to, you know, chop his legs off, you know, whatever, get rid of the guy. Uh, but I think this is the problem I have with much of this coverage over the last couple of years is, you, you know, you, there is, an, there is an, an expectation that, oh, well, it's just going to be a kind of free-for-all and maybe Jeremy Hunt or somebody like that might come in uh, and but you know i think we do need to be quite certain before you get rid of boris that someone better might be taking his place otherwise things could get far far worse even couldn't they absolutely lovely comment from ian on the website massive love for tony and the bcfm the not uh, uh, bcfm politics show or not the bcfm politics That's show it. massive love for tony says ian martin summers too great stuff he says good plug there i i i second that here here from the chair here. Tony, um, there's so much to get into, right? What what did Tesco do uh, in the last uh, 36 hours? They're having a row with one of the biggest wholesalers of food on planet Earth, or the biggest manufacturers, I should say. Of, yeah, um, monopolists, yes, really. They're, monop- food, they're food chain monopolists. Craft Foods, they are. I mean, although, you know, they, they own lots of different titles. Uh, I mean, I was just very struck yesterday afternoon listening to the bulletins talking about this, uh, that the BBC were not making it clear, or nor actually the other channel I listened to, I think it might have been the talk radio bulletin, they weren't making it clear uh, whether the prices that Tesco were charging were too low or too high. Well, a little bit of a reading into the story and digging into the story, and you can see that what Tesco were trying to do was to uh, actually keep prices low. And it was craft uh, Heinz that didn't want that. And, and so were saying, well, if you won't put your prices up the way we want you to, listen, the supermarkets, however evil and wicked they are in trying to control our food supply, you know, back from the world, when I was growing up, you know, there'd be little greengrocers everywhere, farmers would supply them directly. And I mean, we had up until last year, the only major supermarket chain that was dealing directly with farmers and bringing in meat, etc., from those farms and, and putting them straight onto the shelves was Morrison's. And Morrison's got bought out by a private equity firm in the United States, a hostile takeover, after Mr. Morrison, whoever he was, died. And so they no longer do that. Uh, so the relationship is being uh, in the process of being severed with the individual farms. What we're ending up with is a massive, massive food chains, monopolists controlling that. And I'm also very much aware of the, for the research I've done, which is in my book, uh, The Traitors of Arnhem, uh, which is really, I mean, the two books you mentioned at the start. I've got one, which is The Siege of Heaven Reader, which is a, a way of looking into all sorts. I mean, it's really an anthology from other people's work over the last 350 or so years since the English Civil War of of secret government. So examples of secret government, quotes from the Illuminati, why it is that I think that the Illuminati is a, a serious uh, Masonic organisation that n- needs to be you know, properly studied rather than laughed at and dismissed like Robert Anton Wilson was trying to get everyone to do. And so that's that's number one. But the other book, The Traitors of Arnhem, does look into this Fourth Reich. And uh, one of the things I discovered looking into the Bilderbergers was that the uh, looted um, wealth from Europe at the end of the Second World War was laundered through, I mean, we're talking about about a billion dollars here. In those days, money, that was an astronomical 
astronomical major figure. Money. Major money. And uh, through Sullivan and Cromwell, the, the Dulles Brothers Law Firm in New York, and then secreted into these 750 companies, which were created by uh, Hitler's disappeared private secretary, Martin Bormann, over in South America. I mean, he was basically a bureaucrat and a mafia guy. He didn't really believe in the Nazis any more than anyone else, but he saw it as an opportunity to make a lot of money. And he used used the, um, the this laundered cash from the war, which the British helped him, helped him and the Americans helped him to launder, uh, to, to, to put into these 750 firms. And I would point to Kraft as a perfect example of what, what may well be one of those companies. The idea was the firms were going to be monopolistic, uh, transnational companies, and that they were going to use these as a kind of uh, economic empire, if you want, uh, funded by and supported by their own banks that they controlled. And if there was a bank they didn't control or a company, a food company they didn't control, they would do hostile takeovers, they'd take them out by fair means or foul, infiltrate the boards and all that sort of thing. So that that's really what I'm describing in the Traitors of Arnhem is the process by which, uh, you know, we went from World War II and all this loot that the Nazis had taken from the whole of Europe to a, a new kind of fascism, an economic fascism, and even chatting to, um, to Dutch friends of mine. Uh, one guy I met over in Arnhem doing the talk, he was saying, well, like literally the Two weeks after the end of the Second World War, we had Germans setting up businesses in in uh, in Holland with money from we didn't know where uh, in limousines, you know, driving over here, very expensive cars. And we were thinking, well, the Germans are getting They've started okay, rather, they? rather, rather quickly after the war, aren't they? That's and of course, amazing. now, uh, you, you know, European business, economy and industry is generally gen- uh, dominated by the Germans. Now... Uh, so, so to go to to go back to what Tesco have done, it's being reported that Tesco is is taking down or is taking Heinz products, Kraft Heinz products, off its shelves. That this is escalating. This this is a big deal because Tesco is probably I don't I don't know which of them does um, the most trade in the country. I don't know which of them is the most successful, but Tesco's got to be up there. Maybe Sainsbury's, I don't know. So it's a big deal for Tesco to say, you, the, 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 the manufacturer, Kraft Heinz, are trying to keep the price artificially high in the worst time that people have had to endure or go through for 40-odd years. We want to keep it affordable. Uh, you're not playing ball. We don't like it. You're bully boy, so we're going to take the products off the shelves. Is that right? Well, that's right. And it's in a way, it's a little bit like the run-up to the English Civil War, because uh, the Civil War, a lot of people would say, happened because of these monopolies growing up. And, you know, what's happening with big companies, massive international companies like Kraft, is that they've they've taken over large parts of the market, and they're now using that economic muscle to simply to do what they call price fixing. It's a bit like what the oil cartels have been doing since last autumn in just jacking up the price of oil. Uh, when you look at the uh, you know the crude prices on the international markets, in fact, in some cases, have even fallen. But they're increasing the price just simply because they can. They These can. are monopolistic practices. The shareholders, by the way, love this because they're getting massive dividends from these. Okay, so in the oil industry's case, the government's put a windfall tax on that. But, you know, most industries are simply doing incredibly well uh, because they've now become so big and powerful that they're stopping any new entry to the market. They've monopolized the markets and they can now basically set the price themselves. There isn't any real competition. And what Tesco are doing, I think, is pushing back against that and saying, well, actually, we can get our 
baked beans from somebody else. Um, and uh, we we are doing what we can to, and also, of course, Tesco getting a lot of positive publicity out of this, uh, are, are to, in order to, um, you know, work for our consumers and against you, Heinz, as a supplier. And, you know, they're cutting a deal. You know, they're going down the down to the wire. And, and I would imagine uh, in the next few days that uh, Heinz Craft will simply have to uh, deal with Tesco's and, and, and submit because the, if this goes on and on, uh, and the, the publicity generated for Heinz and Kraft is very negative, and for, for Tesco's will be positive, as that you know they're they're bringing the prices down for the consumers, uh, and more people will go through those doors. Be interesting if uh, Heinz Kraft or Kraft Heinz does blink first. Now you mentioned a moment ago the oil companies doing the same thing as Kraft Heinz. You are right. That to me is counterintuitive. Um, they must know the bosses of the big oil companies, that there is a net zero agenda uh, at play in the world at the moment. It's a net zero agenda, which I believe, personally, it's just my opinion, is going to basically destroy the global economy, lead to global unemployment and all the rest of it. The food chain and everything, it's going to be terrible, right? Um, But by keeping oil high, prices high, uh, which they are doing, and not, you you know, keeping them affordable, they're, they're making it easier for the green lunatics to get people off the roads, aren't they? To get them accustomed to not being on the roads. Well, look, I mean, I wouldn't call them personally, I wouldn't call them green lunatics, although I think there are some fanatical greens uh, who seem to delight in the fact that everybody uh, is having to pay more to get around. They're thinking, oh, we're going to get them to persuade them to all buy scooters to go to work on these little electric scooters or something. But what they don't understand, Richie, is that because of the increase in the global price of oil, uh, what's happening is more and more countries, not necessarily here, but but particularly in the developing world, are looking at their ve- various choices as to where to get their energy from. They really don't uh, take much notice of this whole, um, you know, sort of COP26, Prince Charles, Klaus Schwab agenda. Uh, and well, Bill Gates as well, by the way, is involved in all of that. Uh, and what they're doing is they're starting to buy more coal and they're starting to use more coal to generate power. Uh, and also the, the coal price is becoming, you know, more lucrative and more sensible. And so quite a lot of consumers, particularly industries in the developing world, are, are using more and more coal. So as these, uh, should we say, financial green, you know, the sort of decarbonizers, you know, and I do wonder when people talk about decarbonization, like our mayor, Marvin Rees here in Bristol, uh, you know, maybe he should be the first to decarbonize because he's made of carbon. You know, basically what is going on? You can't just decarbonize. Carbon is the stuff of life. And the idea that, you know, you're going to bring in a new kind of great reset with carbon credits as the new kind of currency uh, and people are going to be judged on what, you know, what they do and what they, they don't. Uh, consume in terms of carbon. I just don't believe that people are going to buy into all of this, Richie. I think quite a lot have. But but at the end of the day, the oil companies will just simply, I think, you know, they're they're part they're part of this. They can see that there's all sorts of potential problems with the Middle East, uh, potential wars around the world that might um, restrict the supply of oil. So they're preparing for a new, a, you know, different kind of uh, energy market. Uh, and I would much rather that they spent their time and effort on, uh, you know, not not necessarily punishing car users, but by making a decent public transport like there was when I was a kid in the 19 late 1960s early 70s we had a fantastic bus services we had you know a bus would come along every six minutes or something and uh, and an extremely extremely efficient quick 
and cheap at supplied at cost rail services everywhere so you wanted to get around the country you could do it quickly and efficiently and a nice comfy seat uh, a restaurant car if you wanted to eat something uh, on your trip to manchester or wherever it was you were going plenty of staff around uh, you know a nice ticket office where you could speak to somebody about what kind of ticket you wanted and where you were going to come back and without having to negotiate some sort of computer game in order to buy yourself a simple rail ticket to edinburgh <laughs> which was going to cost you 10 times what the flight would yeah these are not the days to be a senior person trying to navigate this type of thing and i'm 47 and i struggle myself i can only imagine if uh, someone 20 years older than me is trying to buy a ticket uh, on a train. Yeah, I look, I, 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 I buy most of that. Um, of course, I support the strikes. Of course, as an old socialist, I believe we should nationalise everything. It should be run by the state for the people. Uh, I agree with all of that. Tony Gosling is our guest. Thisweek.org.uk, Bilderberg.org. Let's talk about the future king, who um, somebody very close to me doesn't believe will ever take the throne. We might come back to that. Um, he received a briefcase full of cash from a Saudi prince, a million uh, pounds was in it. Uh, I despise the man, but here's the but, there's a big but here. He banked the money, every penny of it was accounted for, and it's being distributed through his foundation. So what's the problem? Look, uh, the pr the main problem with all of this is, first of all, this should not be a cash transaction. He's quite obviously done the, the cash transaction to try and avoid scrutiny uh, by the authorities. You know, millions of pounds going into charitable bank accounts uh, from a, a specific individual. If it's cash, it can't be traced. Now, this is the way the mafia operates. This is the way gangsters operate. I always remember looking at the Mexico situation with the um, drug cartels there uh, is the branches of HSBC Bank in Mexico were all equipped with this special counter where you could put a whole suitcase of um, money through uh, through the counter at the end of the counter. There was a hatch. Uh, that's what Prince Charles is basically dealing with at Coots Bank. Uh, and not only that, the the uh, woman who was supposed to, who has now taken over from Fawcett, who was sacked as his aide uh, on this charity uh, when this was originally came out. I think it was end of last year. Actually, was it the beginning of this? Share this story. Uh, she was actually directly involved in this uh, in this crookery and money laundering is all I can call it, uh, because you know what he's doing is he's trying to conceal where the money's come from. That's the only reason you would use to use massive amounts of cash. They can easily do a little bank transfer, but they wanted to conceal that. Uh, and the idea of that this is going to some charity. Well, these charities, as we know, with Bill Gates, etc., these foundations that are set up, these trust funds that are set up uh, under the charity status are simply used for their own political benefit and it's a way to say well I'm doing a great thing I'm doing something wonderful but of course you are the one who's appointing all the people to that so-called wonderful I mean one of the things for example that this money was used for uh, was the restoration of one of Charles's palaces up in Scotland a large house well you can call it a palace it's an enormous house up in Scotland I think it's in Dumfries somewhere Dumfries, uh, yeah. so he's basically using this to supplement his uh, income from the Duchy of Cornwall estate and I know Notice yesterday, I think it's Rob Evans at The Guardian, had another story on Prince Charles altering the law to suit himself. And this is back in the 1990s. It's only just come out through, free, through the release of documents, so like a kind of 30-year rule, uh, that uh, Prince Charles altered a law which had been passed by the House of Commons and the House of Lords at third reading. Before it went into law, Prince Charles made a few adjustments. So you mean he lobbied? Duchy of Cornwall. 
Duchy of Cornwall Estate wouldn't have to pay uh, or wouldn't have to. I think it's to do with leaseholders so that he would not have to offer his leaseholders uh, in Newton St. Lowe, which is a little village here uh, near between Bristol and Bath, um, uh, the opportunity to buy their own places. So this had gone through in the 1990s as a law for everybody else. But Prince Charles wrote in a clause accepting himself from that process. And of course, those people who live in that village are now massively financially worse off, potentially, than they would have been if he hadn't done that. So this is an abuse of power, Richie. This is not, uh, you know, Prince Charles is not there to write the law. That's what Parliament No, does. but how did he, he get away with that? Alter it. Hang on to you. How did he get away with that? Are you saying that he lobbied members of the House of Lords to... Amen no, no, this is, well, okay, so this is, before uh, uh, an Act of Parliament, um, or a bill becomes an Act of Parliament and receives the royal assent, and there is this little-known uh, period of time of a week or so between it being about to get the royal assent and actually the royal family, or it would be the Queen signing it, that the royal family get a chance to scrutinise it and then alter it if it affects their estates yeah, if they wish to. And Charles had done this secretly without telling anybody so that he could financially benefit from the people living in this village uh it's i think it's i can't remember exactly the the term that rob evans uses in the guardian but i noticed that story yesterday i mean all those people living in that village now will be looking at it and thinking oh well that's funny isn't it because uh you know we could possibly have been able to own our own homes now if it hadn't been for prince charles forcing us to be tenants for life rather than giving us the opportunity to buy the houses we've lived in for generations that is really really interesting that um i wasn't aware of that Tony Gosling is our guest. That's why he's our guest. Um, he looks into this stuff. You you think he is... He, look, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be tabloid. I, I don't like tabloids. But I, I get the feeling you think the guy is evil incarnate, do you, Charles? No, no, I wouldn't say evil incarnate, but he's an opportunist. He's he's somebody who's uh, he sees his position as, um, you know, some kind of... Uh, potential for him to use that office for himself. He's certainly not selfless. I can remember, um, actually, there was a piece, I think it was in 2020, in the Daily Express, which articulated a lot of stuff which people have been suspicious about um, back in, I think it was around about 2013, when um, Charles and Camilla got married and the Queen didn't turn up at the wedding. It was a civil ceremony. Uh, and the article's entitled, uh, it, the the, the the Queen is saying uh, that the church is more important than Charles. So she didn't turn up at the wedding because actually what had happened is Charles had been divorced from Diana, but it was him that was responsible for it. So in law, in the actual law, the royal family are not allowed to do that and then get remarried. So if she divorces him for something that he's done, he's no longer, he would, he would not be allowed to get remarried. And so that's why the Queen stood away from that. I, I think they're very different characters, uh, the Queen and him, and it, uh, that she's someone that genuinely sees herself as uh, somebody that is there to serve the public. I know she's extremely wealthy and she could probably share her wealth around a lot more but Charles I think sees this as an opportunity simply to make money for himself and also this is one of the reasons I think he's been involved with Schwab and the rest of them in setting up this new carbon credit system and personally benefiting from it himself hoping that if and when the world economy crashes the IMF system and the you know the normal banking system we've got in the west crashes that this the system that replaces it he will be personally profiting from it uh, 
and I think he's, you know, he's basically selfish, whereas, and he thinks he can use his public relations team to protect his image, whereas the Queen, I think, is much more genuine, and he, of course, has got weighed into lots of these uh, political things, like, for example, this business about sending people to Rwanda. You know, as he starts to weigh in on questions like that, for, you know, he also said uh, that he thinks Vladimir Putin is behaving like Adolf Hitler. You know, things like this the Queen would never say, because she realises that that would compromise her ambassadors around the world. It would make it very difficult, for example, to make peace with countries that have been criticised by their head of state, much more difficult. So she doesn't muddy the waters in that way, and she keeps mum on it in a way. Whereas I think he's, you know, he wants to be on the political stage in the whole in the world, and he can't really stop himself from saying what he really thinks, which is often, uh, you know, particularly problematic, you know, for many people who, for example, they want something done about the flood. I mean, I was uh, a couple of days ago was down in Folkestone. You can see France, and you're looking at over at um, you know the, the the other side of the channel, and you think, well, that's not actually doesn't look very far for these migrants to come, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we do need to control our borders. If you're going to be a sovereign country, you can't just allow the the mafia to smuggle in, uh, you know, cheap migrant cheap labor, labor into yeah. your country willy nilly. And these are the sort of people that the RMT are striking to say, well, look, we don't want uh, cheap migrant untrained labor taking over in, in the uh, you know repairing our railway tracks, etc. What we want is people in with good job security, good pay, good training. It doesn't matter where in the world they come from, but this cheap migrant labour has been used to undermine paying conditions right has. across the country in all sorts of industries. It always has. Um, Tony Blair is evil incarnate. He, he is one of the most <laughs> demonstrably evil human beings ever to walk the face of the earth. And yet your cuddly little great-grandmother in Buckingham Palace gave him the order of the garter. Now, I, I did. listen, hang on, hang on. Now, you've had a good say now. Before mm. you go down this road of it's, you know, there's a, a structure at the palace and she's advised and she's told you've got to give this to that guy and this to that guy. I'm not buying that. The, the Queen is fully aware that Tony Blair is an evil madman. Nobody who is genuine or decent would come anywhere near him, let alone give him an award like that. How do you respond to that? Well, I I would agree with you. I mean, I, I, I find it very difficult to... Uh, I mean, it's impossible to justify, isn't it, uh, that somebody like that might... But I mean, it may be that, you know, she is part of the uh, 24 Garter Knights. Um, I think that's right, or 26 Garter Knights. Uh, this is partly part of this investigation I've just done uh, the, the last Friday into the English Civil War and looking at the origins of the Order of the Garter. It's inexcusable that Blair should be uh, given this uh, award in this way. Uh, of course, he got, the guy should be in jail, as I think should be the people who have been prosecuting Julian Assange for perversion of the course of justice, for war crimes or whatever. When we're seeing criminals now uh, let off completely and walk the streets and some of them are actually sitting in the judge's seat in our courtrooms in my in my opinion and so no excuse for that but i think we need to look at what the garter order of the garter is it's this two groups of 13 knights which some have pointed out like margaret murray uh she was a writer in the 1920s and 1930s on witchcraft her book was uh, called the witch cult in western europe she's pointed out that the, the the garter is the symbol of the high priestess or high priest in a witchcraft coven that they can reveal it you know they can uh, show it to somebody if they want to reveal that they're actually a high priestess of a coven uh, and so i think that this uh, use of the word the order of the garter does suggest that this 
organization which was started 25 years after the uh, destruction of the Knights Templar uh, back in the 12th sorry no the 14th century uh, was uh, maybe connected with uh, the Templars and the witchcraft that the Templars were accused of uh, and so you know this organization I think is basically there to control the crown so it includes the uh, monarch and it includes the heir to the throne uh, in this case here in Britain it also includes the heir to the heir to the throne that's William too uh, but they're surrounded by a whole bunch of um, you know people who I think have a great deal of power and a great deal of sway over the direction of the country um, and maybe it's just that uh, that Blair was included on the list at their recommendation to the Queen and also I think I'm feeling a bit sorry for her at the moment I think she's pretty frail pretty fragile uh, she may be finding it difficult to think straight um, and looking a little bit wobbly on her feet. So, and after all, of course, she may well uh, have had the vaccine, and and of course that didn't. It I didn't doubt seem to it help. very much. T. You doubt it? Why? I doubt it I, because the va- Well, if if anything was stuck into her arm, it would most likely have been a placebo. The vaccines are killing people. They're killing lots of people. Well, yes, they people. are. But you see, if she's not in on the uh, whole thing, she may be become a victim of the, just as many other people, hundreds of thousands of other people around the world have become a victim of this. You know, I think, you know, this is the way these things work. Plots like this, those who are in the know are in the know. Those who are not in the know are not in the know. And it may well be the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh were not in the know. And they thought, well, we better go along with Let this. Let me you read know? a few it's comments. Hang on. a very powerful psychological operation going on, you know. Hang on. T- Tony Gosling is our guest this week that all UK Fridays 5 o'clock not the BCFM politics show is an outstanding listen so listen to it if you haven't before I'm going to read these comments don't jump in or I'll beat the bejesus out of you um, from here I have special powers um, as soon as I read the, as soon as I read the last comment come right back in Chris asks uh, Charles is a direct descendant of Vlad the Impaler right he asks lives a lot of time in Romania does he a Romanian friend says that the locals generally like him there we'll come back to that Peggy says who cares about the biggest benefit-stealing Germans. They're part of the black nobility, well said Peggy. Neil says, Tony has got his queen rose-tinted glasses on again. The, <laughs> the queen's for the people, says Neil. Yeah, right. And then Chris asks, is old Jog Ears head of the Great Reset in the UK? Which of those would you like to get into? Well, I think, I, th- I mean, I, I don't think she's kind of 100% rooting for the people, the Queen, but I do think she takes her responsibilities uh, to the public much more seriously uh, and understands them much more than Charles. I mean, if you remember, she was brought up during the Second World War, wasn't she? And she saw the bombing. I don't think she was necessarily in any way in on the uh, shenanigans behind the Second World War. In other words, the Wall Street and the City of London helping fund Hitler as a buttress against the Soviet Union. And, you know, they saw it as a you know war of good as a good good against evil. I think most of the most of young people in those days, and um, you know, see, seeing the Blitz of London, she probably wouldn't have been aware that, that it was her uncle Edward VIII who, over in Lisbon in 1940, actually persuaded uh, Hitler's ambassador to start bombing Britain. You know, she wouldn't have been in on those things. And I just think that she's got this. You know, she's got a, a, a more. Uh, should we say, public-spirited side to her. I'm not saying that she's going to shower her wealth around to everybody, but, uh, you know, this is all, it's all by degrees in the aristocracy. Uh, and I think 
you know, Charles is the consummate, you know, sneaky, Machiavellian, selfish person. I mean, I, I you know, I also think that he was uh, complicit with the murder of his wife, Princess Diana. I think that's pretty clear if you look at the um, uh, John Morgan's books and the Paget report and all that stuff to do with the uh, the actual evidence through the courts, uh, and also, of course, the um, uh, Keith Allen's uh, documentary. Uh, about the uh, death of Princess Diana, uh, or unlawful killing, I think it was called. That's right. Uh, th- there's yeah. lots of evidence that she was, you know, killed by the secret state. Uh, I think the guy's name we went over to actually conduct the operation. Uh, he he was uh, a Bilderberger. Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but anyway, he went over to take over MI6. So was, I mean, you know, th- this guy I think wants to, you know, it's a kind of despotic, potentially anyway, despotic ruler and in waiting. And it may well have been him that's nominated Blair, for example, uh, especially as you've got, um, you know, these two groups of 13 in the Order of the Garter. It may be that the Queen gets to nominate one and, um, and Charles another. And it may well have been Charles that nominated Blair, not the Queen. We don't know. Uh, so... I don't know. There's lots of questions there, Richie, but I'm quite happy to answer anything you want. Very good. No, it's good devil's advocate stuff. I like it. The Edward VIII stuff, encouraging the Nazis to bomb the UK. That's uh, that's good. That There was a Channel 4 documentary, wasn't there, not long ago, uh, which dealt with that. Very interesting stuff. That would have yes, come... Karina Erbach is yeah. the German historian that's dug out all the evidence of yeah. that, of the uh, intelligence reports. Uh, and the, what he was basically saying was, uh, if you want the British to negotiate, you're going to have to start bombing them. You know, that was, that's, that was his attitude. And I also spoke to Harry Beckhoff, who was an MI6 officer, who um, he wanted some of his colleagues in MI6 in World War II actually had to arrest uh, Edward VIII uh, because he was trying to cross... Uh, in a limousine uh, uh, over into enemy lines, over into Nazi Germany. He'd come to some sort of arrangement where he could drive away from the British, cross over into Nazi-occupied Europe, and then he would have, you know, this is amazing stuff because he was very sympathetic with the Nazis. And, I, you know, I think uh, As was yeah, there, Prince were, there were factions that were at the time. As was Prince Philip. He, he liked a Nazi or two too, didn't he? And I don't well, buy, I don't I don't think, buy for I a don't minute. Think he was, no, I don't think he was a, quite the same as a fanatic. I think a lot. he did a lot of joking around Philip. And he, was, he had a difficult position, didn't he? Because he was always playing second fiddle. He had to stand there like a lemon as the Queen did her stuff. And, I, you know, he cracked some jokes. Actually, some of them actually made me laugh. But he went to funerals of, of Nazi officers. His sisters yeah, married is, Nazi officers. This, this is during, yeah, I mean, they were his relatives. Yeah, but he knew what they were doing. He was fully aware of what they were doing. He knew what was going on in Germany in the 1930s. He knew uh, the propaganda war against Jewish people. He knew what was going on in the ghettos, didn't he? He knew this stuff. He must have Quite done. possibly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think once he saw the way the war was going, you know, it seems to me that he didn't, you know, he, he was, you know, he decided which side he was on, joined the Royal Navy, etc. And, you know, it, you know, it, the, the thing is that lots of people were sucked in uh, in the 1930s into what Hitler was doing. In fact, uh, the whole Steiner movement, Rudolf Steiner and people like that were, were very enthusiastic about Hitler. They said he's doing a great job until they realised that, you know, what was actually happening, because this is what I think may be going to happen in the future again, really. 
Richie, which is uh, the economy is deliberately crashed as it was in in uh, Germany, and the Nazis ride to power on the back of that. So you know uh, Hitler is made to look like a hero for sorting out the economy. We could sim- we could see a similar kind of thing uh, happening in the West in the future uh, if the economy goes down the tubes, as it looks like it might well do it almost at any point. You know they can pull the plug on the economy now, and uh, and then somebody arrives on the world scene on the on the European scene or wherever uh, as a superhero to sort everything out and everyone thinks they're great. Well, this is the way these people get their cachet, political cachet, uh, and then they stick the knife in as Hitler did. Um, I've just, would you believe it, this second, I've just had a message from Clarence House, the royal residence in London, England. Would you believe that? Uh, I'm told to tell you, um, this is just signed H or H, uh, to tell Tony Gosling that when you get home tonight, there'll be a there'll be a third story on your house. Well done for for putting the uh, the firm's side of things to the Richie Allen show. Oh, listeners. Really? Fantastic! <laughs> Tony Gosling is our guest this week. dot org. dot uk. Let, let's let's um, let's finish with um, NATO, and we'll we'll uh, as always we'll make room for a bit of plugging for the books of the boy Gosling. We have to support the independent media folks, especially when it's brilliant. Got to do that. Um, look, NATO, 300,000 troops in Finland and Sweden and all of this. I know, I know nothing is black and white. There are no absolutes. But people are genuinely worried that we're, we're edging towards a conflict that is not proxy wars in other countries and isn't drone wars, but something, you know something far more deadly. How do you read this? Well, it is, it is deadly serious, isn't it? Um, this is actually now in Europe. It's a similar kind of tactic that the Russians and the Syrian Arab army were using in Syria to clear ISIS out. Uh, is now being used uh, in the Donbass region in Ukraine to clear, uh, to clear out the Azov battalion and the... Well, I mean, I think the main problem over in Ukraine is that you've got you know, Nazis, effectively, I mean, Bandera supporters uh, in the senior officer positions uh, in the intelligence services and in the armed forces. And these are very, very difficult to winkle out. You know, so the soldiers are doing the fighting. Many of the officers are not risking their necks. And so the Russians are are really going to have to get rid. I mean, the, the, the basic timeline there. Uh, obviously, there was the coup in 2014 um, with Victoria Newland and the rest of them. And then there was this constant shelling of the breakaway regions, the Donbass and, uh, um, you know, Donetsk and Lugansk. And then uh, we got uh, the Russians, uh, it was the Munich Security Conference, Munich being the place where the Nazi party was founded, the Munich Security Conference in February saying that, uh, oh, Zelensky thinks that, well, that Ukraine should get its nuclear weapons back. Now, this is a a red rag to the bull to the Russians, obviously, or to the bear. And uh, and they decided, right, well, rather than allow them to do their offensive, which they had intelligence was planned in March, I think it was March the 8th, uh, to start a, a serious assault by the Ukrainian army on the Donbass region. Uh, they said, well, we're going to go in behind them and we're going to preempt that assault by, you know, starting to kick them out of the whole of the Donbass region. That's the two provinces, Lugansk and, and Donetsk. Donetsk. And they're nearly, they've nearly kicked all of the Ukrainians out of, uh, of uh, Lugansk yeah. now. Yeah. 
Um, so I think personally, I think that's what the Russians want. I think what NATO wants is a war out of this because uh, they are a, a, an organization really without a purpose. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, what they've managed to do is convince the public through the press, the stupid people that is, that uh, this is all the Russians' instigation. Where actually, and I, and I, I called up um, Talk Radio to discuss this with Mike Graham, who was absolutely yeah, actually prepared to listen to it uh, the week before last, uh, or possibly last week actually. And uh, it's to explain that Putin has been the one who's been holding back the Russian army uh, and the Russian political system from from actually going into Donetsk ever since 2014. At the time uh, the coup happened and the uh, conflict was going on in raging in the Donbass region in the, in this breakaway area, uh, the, the, there was a lot of people saying to Putin, you've got to go in and defend these Russian-speaking people. And he was saying, no, 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 let's not do this, let's not do it. And he's, he's waited for eight years. And, and by waiting for eight years, he's now got even more of the Russian people behind him and the Russian Duma behind him, uh, their parliament. So, I mean, it, it, we're getting a very different picture over here in our media. Yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, Putin has actually absolutely solidified the Russian people behind what he's doing by waiting so long before sending the army in. And it looks to me as if uh, maybe by the end of the year, both the both of these two regions, uh, one which is now finished, what is it, February, March, April, May, June, in four months, uh, the Lugansk region has been taken. Um, and uh, maybe by the end of the year, the Russians would have retaken the whole of uh, Donetsk as well, at which case there's a chance of making peace. Uh, I would like to see rather than more weapons being poured into there, some sort of a negotiation now to end this as soon as possible uh, and to give the Russians some sort of guarantee of security because they simply cannot have these Nazi units, the Azov, etc. And the, uh, you know, the, the, the NATO um, weapons pouring into Ukraine is, you know, right next to their border would have been absolutely horrific. So one can totally understand what they've done. What well, the way he's justified it, Putin, to himself and to the rest of the world, if anyone is actually listening, is that this was becoming an existential threat to Russia, and we're not going to we're not going to put up with that. We put up with this um, back in uh, 19, 1939, 1940, 1941, and look where it got us. So we're not going to allow that to happen again. And um, so you can understand that the Russians want to make sure that they've got some sort of you know secure future rather than having their state threatened by the globalists and that's really who who is after them the the anglo-zionist empire the globalists right tony that's um brilliant stuff we've got about 45 seconds left give oh, us a, give a plug give a we, we always do this folks i want you to support um tony gosling i want you to support his work listen to the show fridays at five o'clock this week at org.uk it's a brilliantly professionally produced radio program there aren't very many of them around in fact there's only two in the independent media in this country. Uh, there is only well, two. Well, you used to call me the last man standing, didn't you, until the, I got booted off of FM by the, the, the that's school right. mate. You were the last the man standing, yeah. you were. Um, give a quick plug. Where can people buy The Traders of Arnhem and your other books? Go on. Well, I, I, look, I would, I, I've also got to mention Holding the Line, and particularly uh, Henry Widdes, who I did an interview with earlier this week. And uh, this is this group of journalists who are so disgusted with the biased coverage of COVID and particularly, you know, people like Anna Breeze, etc., who've done a lot of work on the uh, exposing some of the truth behind what's going on, independent journalists around the country. There are many of them. 
and that's just two. But I did an interview with Henry uh, yesterday, uh, looking at you know the this from a journalistic point of view more than anything else. And uh, you know what is going on within the profession and the structure of the profession to allow something so horrific to happen. And also, I suppose, trying to big up some individuals who've done a good job um, and within the mainstream media. As Henry is a staff journalist, so uh, my investigations, as I mentioned there, into Arnhem and Bilderberg. That's the traitors of Arnhem. You can get that as a paperback uh, or as a PDF uh, through the Bilderberg.org website. And, and the other book, which is uh, The Siege of Heaven Reader, is the one that is the anthology that looks through. I mean, it's a long book. It's about 300 pages, but it's all sorts of stuff in there from history exposing the secret government, really, the government from behind the scenes. So, I mean, another one of my investigations, Richie, was into the beaching cuts back in the 1960s, looking at the fact that the oil industry was behind all that. Uh, and my most recent investigation, which was on Friday, uh, is on another website, which is The Land Is Ours. That's tlio.org.uk. That looks at the English Civil War and how that was really all about empire and Freemasonry. And, you know, the uh, the emergence of Freemasonry after the English Civil War, actually what was going on was the Masons were, in, you know, very much involved with Cromwell and getting rid of the king because the king, what he'd been doing is stopping the British Empire, which was a basically a clandestine operation started by John Dee uh, under Elizabeth I. And as the empire was starting to roll out, Charles I stopped uh, many of the things to do with the empire. And they said they realised that we're going to have to get rid of him. So the main website for the books is just simply Bilderberg.org and you can get both of them uh, on the uh, on basically on eBay the Siege of Heaven Reader and the Traitors of Arnhem, Richie. Sounds good. I, I've got to do this and I don't like doing it. I've never done it before, but I've got to, I've got to retort to the Anna Brees thing. Um, Anna Brees is not a journalist, Tony, number one. Anna Brees has engaged in contacting scientists and doctors and telling them not to appear on the Richie Allen Show, a radio show which averages 170,000 listeners to the live stream and gets nearly 5 million downloads a month on Podomatic. That's Anna Brees. She's not a well, journalist. Well, I know. It's, it's, I think she's basically she's a sees herself as also doing she's a uh, some kind of freelance, you know, voluntary PR work in advising people not to go on this show, on that show. And I think she's very, she's very ill-advised to be doing that sort of thing. I also see that she was uh, advising early on in the pandemic, uh, the pandemic. Uh, she was advising Mike Yeadon not to go on the Piers Morgan morning show on ITV, yeah. which I think was very a very bad idea because you know he's he was absolutely i think we, we, it would have been good in the early days of the pandemic to see mike yeadon on national television it could have actually you know may, maybe uh, set the stage for a very early um you know nixing of some of the lies that were being told uh, and i think mike yeadon would have been up to the job and it, it's probably not a good idea for her to have um, persuaded him not to go on if that's what she did yeah i've never heard of anything like that i mean first of all she isn't a journalist she's grossly exaggerated the work she did for ITV and, and the BBC. She did very little in reality and she isn't qualified to teach journalism or anything else. But I've never heard of somebody um, in the media contacting potential guests and advising them not to speak to somebody. I've been doing this for eight years pr independently. I have never bragged about the reach of this programme, but the reach of this programme is unbelievable. It's unprecedented. 
Well, like, why would you do that? Is it jealousy? I think the woman is mad. But anyway, it'll be the last I ever speak of her. I had to do it, T, because you mentioned her on my <laughs> no, programme. No, that's fine. No, good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think we, we just have to uh, understand that some people, I mean, I think... Uh, Are I, fucking I don't agree crazy. when you say she's not a journalist. I think she is. Uh, you know, she's no qualifications, She's doing some very useful interviews as well. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's a very wise thing for anybody to be intervening or warning people off interviewing somebody without a very good reason which I she certainly didn't have with you. Well, no, she didn't. But anyway, listen, um, brilliant stuff as usual. Five o'clock Friday this week, the org.uk, not the BCFM politics show. You've been listening to Tony Gosling. Brilliant tea. Thanks a lot, pal. And speak Thank real you. Soon. Cheers, Richie. God bye, bless. Bye for now. Tony Gosling live on the line from Bristol. The time is 16 and a half minutes past the hour. Some things just have to be said, you know. 20 years in the business I've never contacted somebody and told them not to to appear on another show you have to be mad or just insanely jealous I think to do that I think it's the latter anyway we'll never mention her again she's a nutcase this is Santana Oye Como Va I'm Richie Allen the BBG you're listening to the world's most listened to independent news radio show there's nothing like it Montana and Oye Komova on your Richie Allen show. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen show now at richieallen.co.uk. Big rebuild next week. I meant to say this. Uh, it's not going to interfere too much with the live shows. Not too much. Maybe a day. But the studio's being kitted out with a lot of new equipment, including a broadcast mixer, a brand new one that's all bells and whistles. Um, it, it, I opened the programme, we, we talked about you know how long I've been doing this show and the madness of doing it here and kind of how special that is. It just dawned on me today and uh, I've asked for your support for eight years. The show doesn't get any advertising, not regularly. We did have a little bit. Um, Data Clinic and the wonderful Chris and others who I could mention off the top of my head uh, from time to time. But but largely over the course of the eight years, it doesn't get any advertising, despite the success of it. And maybe it's in spite of the success of it. Maybe it's because of the success. I don't know. But uh, it's it's difficult. It's because it spreads out, you see. Um, the show, the listeners to this programme are not narrowed down to a to a city or to a county. If it were, it'd be much easier, I suppose, to sell advertising. But the fact is, it isn't. It's listened to in around about 113 countries around the world at the moment. That's according to uh, the streaming statistics, which absolutely um, blow the minds of people like Hayden Hewitt and, and Paul Ripley. Um, and that's a, that's a great thing, but a problem as well. It's been you, really. You've every month sent a couple of quid to the programme. Some people over the years have sent more than that. And once or twice over the years, some people have sent much more than that. What I've always done is pumped it right back into the programme. Um, I've never done anything else really other than pump it back into the programme and, and um, you know, increase the reach of it through uh, spending much more money with the uh, streaming company as, uh, as I do year on, year on, year on, year, year in, year out. But um, I'm... Yeah, I'm taking possession of a broadcast mixer on, on Tuesday, I think, next week. It's an amazing bit of kit, it really is. That um, takes it to another level altogether, really. And I'm really looking forward to that. It'll have to be installed. The whole thing will have to be done again. Um, new computers as well, a new playout system. That's um, next week. Paul 
the legend Ripley from Fab Radio is going to do it with me. It might be over Thursday and Friday next week. I'm not sure how it's going to work out. It can't be over the weekend. That's um, th- that's down to Paul. It's got to be um, during the week. It's got to be a weekday thing. So uh, I'm, look- I'm really looking forward to that. I'll obviously upload photographs and stuff when it's all done. It'll be uh, it'll be something a bit special, I think. So that's um, next week. Yeah, new broadcast mixer, new radio desk. I can't wait. The one I've got is wonderful, but this is next level stuff. It really is. 24 minutes past the hour. Here's a bit of breaking news out of the United States, which might be... I don't know what the hell is going on. If you listened to me speaking with Maria Heller yesterday, my pal, my friend, you will have heard me ask her, why has the Supreme Court um, seemingly made it more difficult for women to have an abortion. You and I believe, I said to Maria, and she does believe, it was a great conversation with her yesterday, I really, really enjoyed it, that there is a depopulation agenda in play. We believe that. If there is a depopulation agenda in play, it doesn't make any sense to be limiting abortions. Here's another one for you. This is a story that has uh, been, it's been uh, developing in the last couple of hours. Uh, The BBC is reporting in the last 40 minutes or thereabouts. Let me read you the headline. Supreme Court limits Biden's power to cut emissions. Supreme Court limits Biden's power to cut emissions. The US Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, has lost some of its power to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. What's going on? The BBC says this is a major setback to President Joe Biden's climate plans. All of that net zero nonsense and reducing emissions. So what's going on? Why has the US Supreme Court seemingly put a, I don't know, a spanner or a wrench in the climate change agenda machine? Why? Now, the case against the EPA was brought by West Virginia on behalf of 18 other mostly Republican-led states and some of the nation's largest coal companies. So the coal companies and some states run by Republican governors took this case to the Supreme Court and said, why has the EPA been given so much power? It is, it is a body. It is not an elected body. It isn't a, a group of elected officials. The, the decision to limit greenhouse gas emissions should be made by Congress, right? And then sent to the Senate. Why has the EPA got such power? Now, the Supreme Court agrees with the Conservative states and the fossil fuel companies, according to the BBC. In a 6-3 ruling, the court sided with the Conservative states and the fossil fuel companies, agreeing that Congress had not intended to delegate decisions of such economic and political significance. So deciding to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, closing down coal mines, that has a huge economic impact and that should be legislated for by elected officials, maybe, and not um, be something that happens at the stroke of a pen when when the Environmental Protection Agency decides it has to happen. This is strange stuff, dear listener. Have you got a Scooby-Doo as to what's going on? Because I don't. I'm absolutely in the dark about it. The climate agenda is going to roll on. So what's going on here? Why is the Supreme Court doing this? Saying that the EPA shouldn't have the right to tell industries they must close or 
they must scale back their operations in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Now, you might say, ah, Richie, this looks good, but it's not good. What will happen is all the power will go back to Congress. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you've got a democratically controlled Congress, it doesn't matter. They'll do it anyway. And if you said that to me, I would say you're making a good point. I just don't know what's going on. So this is bombshell in America. They're all over this. The conservative news networks, the liberal news networks are all over this. Biden has been told uh, by the Supreme Court that the EPA shouldn't be allowed to decide um, how to cut emissions or to tell big corporations what to do because of the economic impact of it. So there you go. According to the BBC, environmental groups will be deeply concerned, no shit, Sherlock, uh, by the outcome, as historically the 19 states have made little progress on reducing their emissions, which is necessary, says the BBC, to limit climate change, which you and I know isn't happening. Climates do change all the time, uh, but not because of industrial activity or anything else. The atmosphere is made up of many gases. It only can... Uh, 0.04% of it. Only 0.04% of it is is CO2. They can't tell you how much of that is uh, made by, by, by man's activity. They can't tell you. You ask them, they won't tell you. They don't know. So, right, so there's a little bit of CO2 in the atmosphere. Yes, yes. How much of that is contributed by... Uh, we don't know. Okay. CO2 follows temperature. Temperature doesn't follow CO2. Read Ian Plymer's new book, Green Murder, if you get a chance. He is going to be on this programme fairly soon. All going well to talk about that. It's 29 minutes to the top of the hour. I said after we finished with Tony that we take one or two calls, didn't I? But there isn't much time to do that now, is there really? Um, there isn't an awful lot of time left to do that, is there? Uh, what do you think, dear listener? Uh, somebody sent a question in for Tony, but uh, it came in too late. It came in at 20 past the hour. Tony had gone. Richie, asked Tony where did the so-called Donetsk rebels get their arms. When those rebels removed local municipality governors, uh, the Kiev government decided to send armed forces and the local conflict kicked off. Of course, it could be argued that many things were made up by the colour revol revolutionaries who are nationalistic, nationalistic. That's Robert. Thank you, Robert. That's a good point as well. And if I had seen that email, I would have mentioned that to Tony. It's half six. Do you want to uh, try and get through to me for a few minutes? Do you want to do that? Um, I mean, I thought about this this morning. I probably should have put something on the website knowing that Tony would be with me for 40, 45 minutes. But it's been one of those days. Um, what do you think? No? Yes? No? We? No? Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll, 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 we'll give it a go. I've got plenty to talk about in the meantime anyway. But um, the contact details are as follows. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. When I told uh, my friend and confidant, Gene Ann Crowley, on the old messaging thing there that there was big news out of the United States, she uh, exclaimed, Surely not Ghislaine Maxwell, surely she's not dead already. They wouldn't be so brazen, would they? Would they? Has she been... I would imagine now that the sentencing has concluded, she is probably now in the facility where she will expect to be for the next uh, 20 years, is she? Is that how it works? So once 
She was in this Manhattan holding thing, which apparently was hell on earth. Her victims probably couldn't give an arse about that. Um, or Epstein's victims. I mean, she, she played a big part in that, of course. They would say, um, well, tough shit, Paddy, they would say. But uh, now she's in, the, she's in the, the lockup now, is she? This security prison, this prison she's in. Is it minimum security? Is it? It probably isn't. It's probably maximum security. Would they be so brazen, would they? Would they be so brazen to off Gillian Maxwell? Maybe not. Maybe she's been warned, maybe. Very good point was made yesterday, I thought. A very good point was made yesterday that um, there is a very suspicious lack of interest in speaking to the victims about the uh, the black book, the flights, uh, the mansions, who was there uh, on, on behalf of the authorities, on behalf of the US authorities, seemingly totally uninterested in speaking to these victims and asking them to give you know some more details about what went on during those times, so that maybe they could go after some of these men who broke the law when they were attending some of these shindigs organised by, by Epstein, which we believe, to the best of our knowledge, I think you and I probably believe, Epstein was working for multiple intelligence agencies, right? Wasn't he? Possibly working for multiple intelligence agencies um, to compromise people, maybe politicians, maybe captains of industry, I don't know. I don't know at all. I'm going to take another tune. When I come back, we're going to talk about something else. Really good friend of mine has been told recently that he has um, cancer, that he might have prostate cancer. And uh, I'm thinking of him now because he had a procedure today. And uh, y- you never know what to say to people with- without sounding patronising. And, and I'm-, I'm the worst in the world. You might think that's, that's how could that be, Richie, because you- you've got a big gob on you and you like to talk, but I don't know what to say to people. Other than having done this show for so many years. I'm not going to take calls, by the way. Uh, I am going to take calls next week. We'll do a proper phone in next Tuesday. It's just time's just going to disappear. Um, I'll take calls next Tuesday. But I want to talk about this for a minute. Um, Having done this show for some years and then having done a similar radio show before that in Spain when I was working for somebody else, I've learned an awful lot. I think I've learned. I've seen some things that I I never believed, you know, I I wouldn't have believed previously. Um, So I've been telling my friend basically to try and stay positive, you know, to think positively. That sounds like a horrible cliché. A horrible, boring, silly, empty cliche. What what does that mean? But but actually to think things, to think real sentences and words, and and to smile, and to make affirmations about you know it's going to work out and it's going to be fine and and um, and trying to be happy and not to think too much about it and stuff like that. So yeah, I I never know what to say, but I said that, and uh, I I do I, I I absolutely have come to believe in the power of positive thought changing your circumstances and your environment. I really have. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, I would say, glaring example of it, having had difficult periods in my life, but, but stayed positive. So the humour and the absurdity of the situation and laughed, you know, and told myself that it was going to improve. It is going to, be, to improve. It is going to be better. So yeah, thinking of my pal, he's home now and uh, he's a bit sore, but he's all right. 
They gave him a very strong painkiller, he tells me. It's an old friend. And, uh, yeah, they gave him some painkillers. And uh, he's uh, he's home, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. They tell us that one in two of us is going to get it, don't they? One way or another. You know, one type of of cancer or another. They, they tell us one out of two of us. Is that right? Is it one out of every two people? I haven't a clue. Um, yeah, thinking of my pal and thinking about thinking positively and how that can help in recovering from anything. Claire says, how you doing, Claire? Claire's an Irish woman, was living in New Zealand, not anymore. Um, was brilliant on one of the phone-ins, Claire was. She says, Richie, in terms of Tony suggesting the Queen wasn't in on the jabs, um, wasn't in on the jabs or poison, and that she might have taken a shot, maybe she wasn't, Richie. Maybe she wasn't in on it. Maybe the royal family have outlived their usefulness to the agenda. That's an interesting point, Claire. Who knows? I, I, I certainly couldn't dismiss that. I don't know. What do you think, dear listener? Might Claire be right there? Might the royal families of the world have outlived their usefulness? Might the banking families of the world have outlived their usefulness if we're going to move into a you-will-own-nothing-and-you-will-be-happy world? The carbon c- credit world. When, when, when Claire asks that question, I think, if the system is going to collapse, would that mean the entire system is going to collapse? Everything, governments, the whole lot, like. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know is the answer. I really don't know. I think the, the climate thing and the cashless society, central bank digital currencies, plus, of course, the offer of ever more vaccines, that's where I see things going in the next couple of years. And if you've listened to me long enough, you'll know that I am not a, a researcher. I, I'm not somebody who's very good at prophesizing stuff. It's just my gut instinct based on everything I've seen in the last two or three years. Cashless, definitely. Social crediting, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Crazy stuff this, isn't it, in the United States? There's some, some, some interesting comments on that. Ian says that nobody's got all of the answers. He holds to the principle that he's got to find it funny. However serious it gets, find something to laugh about, says Ian. The worst they can do is kill us, or, or God forbid, kill our loved ones. But even at that threat, how petty does that make them? The cowards, they're cowards at best and evil at worst. Laugh whenever you can, says Ian. And I totally echo that. And I would say it ends when we turn our backs on them. I used to make this very silly analogy about the conclusion of the film A Nightmare on Elm Street by Wes Craven. That really grabbed me when I watched it sometime in 2016 or 2017. I watched it when, I came, when it came out. We shouldn't have watched it. It was a very disturbing film for a child to see in 1984. It was. I mean, it's probably tame now, but it was a terribly disturbing horror movie. It really was when you think about it. A child murderer haunting children in their dreams, teenagers and killing them. There was nothing funny about that first film. The character became a real parody then of itself, didn't it? Later on, this Freddy character with all the one-liners and stuff. But the first film was a very disturbing film. But the character, Nancy Thompson, beats him in the end. Well, she doesn't because they have to have a sequel. But she tells him that she takes back every power I, every bit of power I ever gave you. You, you only managed to do what you did because you fed off of our fear and our belief in you and your existence. She turns away from him and says, you're nothing, you're shit, and he disappears. And that struck me a few years ago as a great analogy. When enough people, and this 
goes back to my constant harping on about Gandhi for, for years. I don't do it anymore about non-violent civil disobedience. When enough people just refuse to comply, it doesn't need massive protests in London. It doesn't need listening to your truth or industrial complex hero of choice. It needs none of that. It just needs enough people to disengage, to turn their backs on them and say, we don't fucking believe in you. You're nothing. Your power exists as a thing only because we gave it to you, because we acknowledged you, because we paid attention to you, because we obeyed your fucking rules, despite how arbitrary and ridiculous they were. We're not doing it anymore. We're not going to do the things you want us to do. Go and work in the dead-end jobs. Pay the stupid taxes that make no sense. We're not going to cooperate with our own misery anymore in your crazy system, we're just going to stop. We're going to take care of ourselves in our own cities and in our own communities. That sounds very highfalutin and it sounds impossible to, to, to some, but I suggest it's the only way out of this nightmare. It's the only way out of it. Violence, forget about it. They've got bigger guns, they've got more lunatics. They've got drones, they've got fucking soldiers, they've got robot soldiers coming out of Boston Dynamics. Forget about it. Turning your back on them, laughing in their faces like Ian said, and saying, well, we don't recognise you. Who are you? Wonderful. It used to be shared a lot on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but I used to see it. That wonderful meme of the chess pieces. You know, where all the chess pieces gather around one chess piece. We're the multiple chess pieces gathering around the alleged king. People don't realise that. They don't understand it. I think the great majority of people constantly feel helpless about stuff. Whether they've ever listened to a show like this or not, whether they know anything about The Great Reset or not, most don't. But, but, but I, I, I would, would say I can see it on the faces of people. I'm a great student of people. I wouldn't be doing what I did if I didn't. I'm, I'm interested in people and what people have to say and how people behave and how they act. And I can see in people. You, you do what I do. You go about your business tomorrow, Friday, Saturday. Look at people. Don't be too obvious. But look at them. You're going to see a lot of strained faces, a lot of long faces, a lot of harried appearances because people are feeling it this oppression. They probably can't articulate what it is, not because they're stupid, but uh, they haven't been privy to the information we've been privy to. They can't explain it, but they're feeling it. You can see it on their faces. And they feel helpless, people. It's, it's, a, it's a constant thing. They feel helpless. You know, what can I do about it? Um, can't afford food. Uh, having to do the unthinkable. Go to a food bank. Never thought it would be me doing that. Relationship is breaking down because of the strain. Um, don't really want to take these jobs. Everything is horrible. Everything is oppressive. Don't understand why, but feel helpless. Feel, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But there is. It's very simple. Nonviolent civil disobedience on a massive scale is the answer. But the barrier to that, of course, is, is we've become so disconnected from one another. Again, that's an old chestnut of mine. Hugely disconnected from one another. Most people don't know who the hell lives around the corner. Don't have a clue who they are, what they do. 
the names of their children, their hopes and aspirations, haven't a Scooby-Doo. And that's how it was meant to be. Divide people along uh, social lines, divide them along economic lines, on ideological lines, on identity politics lines. Divide, 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 divide. People don't give a shit about one another. After a while, people don't care. Of course, the media drives that. Wedge between people. Putting people against one another on all sorts of silly issues. Race, gender, religion. Rambling he is now at a 13 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Um, this is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from Salford. Hey, listen, the programme is archived on Podomatic.com. Just go to richieallen.podomatic.com. And uh, it goes to all the other podcast providers as well. Alice Cooper says, it's got to be the real Alice Cooper, they intend destroying all faith in all institutions, including government, law, religion, health, so they can offer us the solution. After the Third World War, says Alice, around 2027 to 2028, we'll be offered a one-world government, UN, which will guarantee world peace, etc. Alice has got it all figured out. I'll be the first one, Alice Cooper, to come back on this programme if it still exists. It probably won't in 2028 and go, do you remember Alice Cooper put a message on the Richie Allen Show website on the 30th of June 2022 and said exactly what was going to happen? Peggy says the big rallies in London are still good for networking and finding like-minded people uh, to reinforce that we are not alone. Um, yeah, I can buy that. I, it's, it's been said to me. It's good. It's good for the energy. It's good for the vibes. It is, Peggy, but nothing ever comes of it. This is the problem. Nothing ever comes of rallies where heroes of the truth or industrial complex shout slogans at people from erected stages. Nothing comes of it. Nothing. The amount of times over the years I've been invited to come and speak at something. No. Why? What good is it? I'll be preaching to the converted. They know exactly what it is I'm going to say. They knew it before I knew it because I've only really been talking about these things since 20, uh, 2009, really. Why, why, why should I go and stand up and tell them what they already know? They don't like that. Some of the truthers don't like it. Oh, Richie's he's pulling back the fabric, letting people know what we do. Snake oil salesmen in the truth or industrial complex, selling you back your own opinions. I don't like it. I've never liked it. It's no good. This program has no purpose. None whatsoever, if all it does is um, be a meeting place for people to realise they're not going insane. You know how annoyed I get, and this is going to piss you off probably, but I'll say it anyway. When I get emails from people saying, thanks Richie uh, you, for, for the programme, it keeps me sane. Fuck off. I don't mean that really. I understand it. But it's not the point of a radio show, is it? The point of a radio show is to um, speak to people who've got some information in the hope that somebody listening might take that information and might use it in a positive way to effect change somehow. Don't go away now thinking that I have no sympathy for the person who says, Richie, thanks for keeping me sane, because I do. Of course I do, and I understand it. But it's um, it's counterproductive. You know, I'm I'm not an I I'm 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 not an I'm not an egomaniac. I know that a radio show can't change the world, 
but I do want the radio show to reach people who've never heard this information and uh, and think about it a little bit and maybe have a look into it. That was the point of doing it, not to be an echo chamber. And that's, um, you know, been a source of frustration for me over the years. I don't want to be an echo chamber. I don't want to be inviting a guest on the programme to tell the bulk of the audience what it is they already knew before I opened the microphone is, um, is where I'm going with that, you know. But I understand it because it's been very difficult the last two years for people. Nelly asks, did anyone else notice the sky when on the Queen's Jubilee, when the flyover was televised, the massive chemtrail X in the sky? We got it in Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, and I hear in many other places. So they just want to eliminate us all, including royalty, says Nelly. Uh, that's news to me about the chemtrailing. Uh, uh, thanks for that, though, uh, Nelly. Christopher asks, or says, Richie, they have stopped chemtrailing over Madrid while NATO is in session. What could that mean, says Christopher? I don't know. Geppetto asks, it's possible if the banking families and royal families have outlived their usefulness, but then that would likely mean someone else has taken their place. Someone would fill the vacuum. And for us regular folk, it's important to know who they are, says Geppetto. Uh, interesting point, that. Thank you. Mexborough Simon says, AI and robots are going to take over. Martin says, told me I had cancer eight years ago. I said, fake off, says Martin. And I walked away from hospital and the system and I am still here. I do recall you saying that to us before, Martin. It's a nice reminder. Thank you. Isabel, not, not recently, of course, you told us that quite a long time ago. Isabel says, but we do have actual proof that Ghislaine really is in jail, do we? Is there any proof that Maxwell really is in jail? Could she be hiding in a top top luxury place or even free with a new identity, asks Isabel. If she is so high up involved, if she is so high up a character, she could easily have received protection. The guilty sentence could just have been a smokescreen to keep the public calm, says Isabel. You never know. I would think it might be unlikely, but you never know. Ian came back on to say they knocked a copper off a day before his appearance to give testimony. This is the claim that somebody who was in charge of security at the Capitol on January 6th last year and who was due to give evidence to the congressional hearing uh, has died in suspicious circumstances. That's right. Didn't Spiro, Skouras, the great Spiro himself, share that info with us uh, when we were speaking last night with Maria? I think he did. I think he did. Hi to Daza, who says, The last time the Supremes were kicking ass like this, Diana Ross was still with them. Is that strangled screaming noise I hear coming from Maria Heller? Love Maria Heller. Fantastic woman. Charlie says his hot take on the Supreme Court's ruling that the EPA shouldn't have the right to tell corporations what to do in terms of its emissions or their emissions. He says his hot take is they're trying to stoke tensions among the climate change lobby. Now, that's a good point, Charlie. That might very well be part of it. Get the Extinction Rebellion mob, its counterpart in America, get its screaming bloody murder and gluing itself to roads and all of that malarkey. Good point. Might be on the money there. Yes, that's the news that the Supreme Court has uh, voted 6-3 to three to limit the powers of the 
Environmental Protection Agency to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. A number of Republican-controlled states and fossil fuel companies went to to the Supreme Court to say the EPA doesn't or shouldn't have the authority to tell us to reduce emissions. The Supreme Court has said, well, yes, we agree, six to three. And I asked or wondered aloud earlier on, why? Why? I mean, the agenda is climate change, climate lockdowns. As I said earlier on, I wasn't being melodramatic at the top of the programme. The crazy net zero policies will destroy what's left of the economies of the world, ruin the food chain, permanently end travel for, 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 for many people. Civil liberties will be gone once and for all, and we will see poverty on a scale that was previ- previously unimaginable. That's what they want to do. So looking at it from that point of view, the Supreme Court decision doesn't make any bloody sense. But <laughs> nothing makes sense to me anymore. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. I do a radio programme, dear listener. It's called Sunday Morning Melodies. And it's Sundays between 10 and 12 noon. And it's a show I'm very fond of. It's a very simple show. There isn't anything overly special about it at all. But uh, it's just me and a few easy listening tunes from different periods of musical history and one or two stories, sometimes one or two stories to go along with it, and a lovely chat with you. It airs on TuneIn. I've got to recommend more often the TuneIn app. Great stuff. And Rob there um, in in New York, who's uh, very high up in that organisation. They've been very good to the Richie Allen Show, the TuneIn people. And I recommend you use TuneIn.com. Not just to listen to the Richie Allen show, but there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of programs and stations you can listen to on the app, tunein.com, download it. That's not an advertisement, there's no money involved there. They've been good to me, I recommend you use it. And I've been broadcasting on that platform since, basically since day one, since 2014. So there you are. Okie dokie. I'm trying to think of a song to go out with and I've just not got the energy. I don't know. I don't know what to play for you. I really don't. So uh, I'll go with Bill Withers, will I? Will I close out with Bill Withers? I will, I will, I will. He says, talking off mic, which is very unprofessional. Thank you so much to Tony Gosling, as usual, thisweek.org.uk. The Not the BCFM Politics Show, 5 o'clock on Fridays. The Traders of Arnhem. The books you'll find at Bilderberg.org. He's a top lad, is Tony Gosling. We'll talk on Sunday at 10 or maybe not. It might not be your thing. If it's not your thing, I'll talk to you on Monday at 5 on The Richie Allen Show. Have a fantastic weekend. Take care of yourselves and one another. And thanks for supporting the show. Please do uh, so by going to richieallen.co.uk. At the top of the page, it says support your show. It is the end of the month. It's when we pay the bills. Please support the programme if you haven't done before. Bill Withers then closing us out. Look after yourselves. See you Sunday. Bye.